by the sacrifice of your son and the incredible gift that he is to us. This morning, as we worship you in thanks and praise, would you be honored by our thoughts and our attitudes? Would you open our ears to hear the voice of your spirit as we look to your word and ask to be reminded of who we are and who you have called us to be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Faith Covenant Church on this wonderful Palm Sunday. What a fun way to start worship by walking in together and singing loud hosannas. Uh, You may have noticed a few changes in the sanctuary here. Uh, This is all preparation for Good Friday and Easter. And so we want to, uh, again, encourage you to come out on Friday night this next week for Good Friday for our evening service. It's going to be a service like you've never experienced before. It's going to be reflective and powerful. It's going to be visual, and there's going to be drama. There will be some dancing, and it'll be an opportunity for us to engage with God in some really neat and powerful ways. And so invite your friends, invite your family. This is a great opportunity for everyone to come out and be reminded of the wonderful sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, but also to be encouraged by the hope that we have because of that sacrifice. We are in our final week in our series that we've been calling One on the uh, letter written to the Philippians. And uh, we are wrapping up this series today with Paul's closing words to the church in Philippi and, and the things that he wants to leave them with as an encouragement and a reminder. If you've been able to be with us through this series, you know that, that Paul's writing to them uh, was intended to encourage them in the midst of outside difficulty. They were being oppressed by the culture around them. Uh, in the, Some of these early churches were not welcome in the Roman society, and they were experiencing persecution and oppression, and Paul wanted to encourage them to stand firm in the midst of challenges. But at the same time, he also wanted to warn them that the greatest challenge to any church doesn't come from outside the church, but it comes from inside the church. And they were experiencing conflict and difficulty and challenge. And he wanted to to caution them, if they don't pay attention to how they're loving one another well, it doesn't matter what's happening outside the church because the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ about the reconciliation and the forgiveness of God was at risk of being lost amid their own desires to, to be right or to win the argument or to, to, to uh, extend the conflict out and not work towards loving one another well. As he wraps up in chapter 4 today, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 23, and he wants to encourage them to keep joyful. And he starts in verse 10 of chapter 4 by saying, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Again, he he wants them to be joyful. He's trying to to teach them where to find those places of joy in their lives. And they had sent a financial gift to help him in his ministry through their emissary Epaphroditus. And so he's coming back full circle to thank them for this gift that they had sent, that they had renewed their concern for him by sending him this gift to help him in his ministry. Indeed, he says, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So apparently, we're not sure if they had fallen on financial hard times and they didn't have enough resources to send a gift previously, or because they didn't have anyone to send it with, maybe they couldn't get it to him in time. But now, for some reason, with Epaphroditus going, they were able to do that. And so he's wanting to thank them for this incredible gift of generosity 
that they've sent to him. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, however, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Now, if you are underlining uh, or making marks in this series, I'd encourage you to underline, I have learned the secret to being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then underline, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So apparently a lot of the earlier churches didn't raise a finger to help in Paul's missionary journeys, but, but this little struggling church did. And so he's reminding them that they have a, a long history, and that's part of why he loves them so much. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Underline what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Underline pleasing to God. And God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You can underline God will meet all your needs. To God, our Father, um, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people or all God's saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Underline the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, again, Paul's writings are so full of so many wonderful, good things. I'd like to maybe say, as I've... Um, thought about this week and how we wrap up the series that maybe the most important thing in Paul's words here for us today is his understanding of this issue of contentment. If you were to hear outside of this room this morning on television or somebody you met uh, in conversation at work and they come up to you and said, I have found the secret to contentment. How much would you pay? How much time would you spend going to the workshops, pursuing the the models of how to find contentment? How much would you pay to, to get the book and the journal that goes along with it? How many coaches would you hire to to teach you how to find the, the secret to contentment? Aren't we as a culture spending billions of dollars? multiple hours seeking somebody's promise that this is going to be the thing that makes us happy, that finally puts all the puzzle pieces together in life and says, this is the secret to contentment. I'd like to suggest this morning that perhaps Paul knows how much our lack of contentment as human beings is what fuels our our, our challenge in overcoming conflict in our relationships with one another. 
Because often it's our own dissatisfaction with our lives, our own discontentment with ourselves that we then project onto one another and we expect them to make us happy. We expect somebody else to make it all right for us. And if, if we're unhappy or dissatisfied with how somebody else is behaving, we're going to blame them for it and hold them responsible because ultimately the core issue is that we are not happy people. We're dissatisfied with who we are and where we are and our lot in life. And yet, in the country that is the wealthiest, most successful country in the history of the planet, we are rife with people who are seeking for more and more and faster and faster, trying to find the secret to contentment. And it fuels our unhappiness and our conflicts and our fighting with one another and our grabbing to be first place because we think somehow that's going to get us what we need. And yet Paul says that Finding contentment in Christ, no matter what our circumstances, leads us to the experience of peace in our hearts and is the secret to true contentment in life. You see, we don't need anything else. What else could we ask God for other than what he's already given us, which is everything? He's given us his entire self, and yet it's not enough. We want a handsomer husband, a more beautiful wife. We want more respectful kids. We want more liberal parents. We want a bigger bank account. We want a shinier car. We want a bigger house. We want to lose 15 pounds. If I can get that raise, then we'll be financially secure and then we'll be happy. And yet we know if we go back and we look at the story of God's people and we look to God's word, you can understand that Solomon all those years ago spent his life building his bank accounts, having all the hobbies, having all the relationships he could handle, drinking and partying and trying pleasure. And at the end of all of it, he said, it's empty. There's no there there. And yet today, all these years later, we continue as human beings striving for that elusive contentment, that that promise of happiness that's out there, and, and we're just filling our lives with as many things as we can, knowing that it's not working. And yet like a hamster on the wheel, we just keep running in circles and circles, hoping that if we go faster or harder, that maybe it'll change. I remember when I was a a young man and I had entered into seminary in California. You know, I lived in Phoenix and seminary was in Pasadena. So I would do a lot of commuting back and forth from home where my parents lived in Phoenix to Los Angeles and Pasadena. And I, I spent a lot of time in the car by myself on the road. And I remember this one trip and it stuck with me because... It was one of those trips where, you know, you're, it's about a six-hour drive from Phoenix to, to L.A., unless you've got a little bit of a heavy foot and you can get there in about five and a half hours, and especially if you can get behind somebody who's driving faster than that and you can kind of tail them, you know, hoping that they're going to hit the radars ahead of you. I don't do that, though. And so I'm driving along, and, and as you can imagine, you want to make good time, but of course, uh, unexpectedly, I get a flat tire. So I have to pull over to the side of the road on the highway in the middle of the desert. 
And you got to open the trunk and you have to take all the bags out to dig out the jack and the spare tire. And you've got to jack up the car and take the tire off and change the tire. And meanwhile, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm losing time and what drudgery and why would I have to do this? And God, where are you? I didn't think that at all. In fact, I was in the zone with God. I was on this trip with God. I was, I was on a journey, and, and, and I actually had fun changing the tire because it didn't matter. You know, whether I was making time at, you know, 70 miles an hour or I was changing the tire on the road, I was just having fun with God because it wasn't about the, the challenge or the difficulty. Life was just good, and I was singing in my heart, and God was with me, and nothing could touch me. It was beautiful, and it stayed with me to today, that experience. And I live that way every day now. (laughs) I have to confess, I don't live that way every day. It's hard to stay in the zone with God when the challenges and the difficulties of life come. And I can tell you, in this season of life, our family has been through a lot of change. And coming to a new church and being a new lead pastor and preaching on Sunday, I find myself getting anxious and worried and scared and, and, and frustrated and feeling like I've got to do more and more and faster and, and, and manage the deadlines in order to maybe be good enough or hope that you guys like me. Thank you. If only I could lose that 15, 30 pounds, then maybe I'd be happy. So this message is a challenge to me, too. It's a word for me. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I keep looking for my contentment and my satisfaction in all the wrong places. Now, I think it's important before we go too far in that direction that we also have to recognize that Paul is not preaching a prosperity gospel here. You know, he, he's, he's praising the Philippians for giving this gift, and he's promising that because of their gift, God's going to credit it to their account, and he's going to supply all their needs out of his riches in heaven. And too many prosperity gospel preachers will tell you that this is Paul telling us that if you give, you're going to get. And if you're not wealthy, if you're not successful in life, if life isn't all working out for you right now, maybe it's because you're not quite doing enough to earn God's blessing in your life. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not the gospel that Paul is preaching here. If you go back and you remember what Paul has said, who are the examples that he's lifting up of successful Christians? Himself in prison about to be executed as a, as a criminal. And Jesus, who died as a criminal on the cross, a failed Messiah, who gave his life so that we could have life. There's no way that you could logistically construe that what Paul is telling you is that you have to give to God in order to get. He's saying, no, we have to have joy and contentment because God's already given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's waiting here for us. We just have to open the gift. And that's why he says he's learned that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength, whether he has plenty or he's in want. It's God who brings the peace and the satisfaction that allows him to deal with every circumstance that he's facing. 
See, when we experience difficult times, we need the presence and the power of God to remind us that the cross of Christ has already made the way for us to experience true happiness because it's all about our life with God. Spiritually speaking, Paul is also saying, we have to be warned that worldly success and comfort is also as risky as experiencing poverty and suffering. We, we know and we talk about this a lot, that, that when we go through difficult times and hard times and, and, and financial struggles, we, we're tempted to say, where is God? And, and, and does he not care? Is he not blessing me? But Paul's also wanting us to remember that on the other side of the equation... When we are wealthy and successful and we are comfortable and we have all of our needs met, we are at the greatest risk of turning our back on God and thinking we've got it all figured out. And we don't need God in our lives. And Jesus warned over and over again about the the temptation and the risk of money being the God of our lives. When we put our faith and our security and our own ability to meet our needs We don't realize that we are missing the one need that is going to make us truly happy. In 2004, author Greg Easterbrook wrote a a book called The Progress Paradox. And after doing years of research, he documented how the more successful and affluent a society becomes, the more unhappy its people become. Almost all aspects of Western society, he says, have vastly improved in the past hundred years. And yet, today, more people feel less happy than in previous generations. What a tragic, tragic world we live in. You see, we need to be reminded that wealth can deceive us into thinking that we are happy when really it's just that we feel like we've got enough control of our lives all the while being dissatisfied with who we really are. And it leads us into dishonesty in our relationships with other people, and worse, thinking that somehow we are good because we are successful. You know, Palm Sunday was an amazing Sunday if it happened on a Sunday. (laughs) When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, And he was hailed as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And people took their clothes off and laid them on the ground so he could walk on them. And they sang Hosanna in the highest. And yet we often skip over a few short verses in Luke's version of the triumphal entry that I just want to share with us today. In chapter 19, verse 41 Luke tells us that as Jesus approached Jerusalem on that day and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And those same people who sang his praises and welcomed him as king, we know a short time later shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Unless we think too easily that we as Christians have it all figured out, we also have to be reminded that our own religious success as Christians 
can lead us to think that we don't need God either. We can know all there is to know about the Bible. We can go to church every Sunday. We can be a a teacher in a Sunday school class. We can be a preacher on a platform. And our own religiosity and success in church life can happen without even being in relationship with God. And we can live dissatisfied, unhappy lives and lead other people to somehow try and live up to that same standard, never realizing that what would make for peace and contentment was right here all along, but we never realized it. You see, poverty and wealth, suffering and contentment are the two extremes of the continuum of human experience. And whether we're experiencing difficulty and challenge and and financial struggle, or whether we're successful and wealthy and, and, and fat and happy, we need God in all those circumstances. Because the risk is always that we will not recognize our need for Him in order to be forgiven and truly happy. Life change is not motivated by dissatisfaction. How many of you have ever tried to lose weight? (laughs) Right? Okay, here's, here's a little secret of weight loss contentment. Did you know that life change is never successful based on negative motivation? Life change is never successful based on negative motivation. And yet over and over again, we are unhappy with who we are. We stand in front of the mirror and we say, you're fat, you're ugly, what a loser you are. If only I could lose weight, then I would be happier with myself. If only I could, could be healthier or fitter or have bigger muscles, then, then I, 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 would, I would be esteemed in our culture and other people would look to me and praise me. And so that's why diets and, and health fads are always cyclical because you get on these, these you know, plans and you work at it, but you're doing it because you're not happy with yourself. And when you get to the end of the process, you're still not happy with yourself. And so you go right back to the old patterns of eating and behavior that take you right back on the vicious cycle where you start to feel worse about yourself. And, oh, I've got I've to motivate myself to get back on track. That's the whole pattern of sin that God came to free us from on the cross. If we understand that there is nothing that you can do, there is nothing that I can do that is going to make you worth any more in God's eyes, that is going to make you more lovable, more uh, forgiven, more happy than you can have right here in this moment because God has already given us everything, then we are free from from the fear and the anxiety that teaches us to go after all those things that never satisfy. And now we're motivated by love and joy and forgiveness to, to become all that God has created us to be. And that kind of motivation you can build a lifetime on. That kind of motivation, you can encourage other people and build them up and bring them along for the journey. That's why it's so important, Paul is saying to the Philippians and to you and me, that we've got to get this secret of contentment figured out and understand that our starting place 
is the humbling beginning of our need for mercy and forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Because that is God's message of love for you and for me. Don't go changing to try and please me. Don't change the color of your hair. You can't imagine that you're too familiar. I love you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. See, God has sent a message to you and me that he loves us just the way we are. And yet we go, yeah, but. Thanks, God, but. And then we get off track pursuing all these things that we think we need to do to be happy. And we miss that God loves us right where we are without having to lift a finger, without having to do anything more. And if we can discover that love for ourselves that God has for us, then we have the freedom to pursue all kinds of things in life out of joy and freedom because we have already arrived. There is no other destination to get to. We have made it because Jesus has opened the way to our destination. Contentment comes from Christ in our lives, from forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And then all of life becomes about bringing glory to God because the rest of life is all about being so grateful and thankful for the freedom that we have that we can't help but celebrate and want to praise God and tell other people about how amazing God is. That's the whole motivation for being a testimony of God's love because we have truly been set free. And that's why Paul closes with his his closing hope, his closing prayer in verse 23. And he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Men and women, contentment starts here and is lived out from the inside out. We will never find it out there and try and shove it inside. And the joy and the freedom is that we don't have to do anything. All we have to do is open the gift. Amen? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your love for us. This amazing message that on the cross, your love was poured out so that we could discover the secret to contentment in our own lives. Forgive us, God, for all the ways that we have run after happiness in other ways besides you. Help us to see ourselves with your eyes and to feel the satisfaction of your love for us so that your love within us becomes a positive motivator to change our lives, to make a difference in this world in your name and to experience the joy of living in the freedom that Christ has given us. God, help us to love one another and to overcome our differences and our difficulties and our conflicts with that same motivation to not have to win or be right, but to learn how to build one another up and become a testimony of this freedom and this love that is available to all people through Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. One of the things that Paul kind of hits on in this passage 
is that as the Philippians give financially, he's encouraging them that it's the act of giving generously that demonstrates that we are free from the need for money to have happiness. It's the, it's the act of giving that allows us to understand that it's not about our need to control and grab at wealth and resources and security. And so if you have come prepared to give gifts of tithes or offerings this morning, it's not a duty. You're not giving it to get something. There's no value in giving money to the church in order to give for gain. This is an act of freedom to participate in God's love for the world. It's all his stuff anyway. And now we can be free to participate in the life of God with everything that we have and everything that we are. So as you bring your gifts, give in that spirit. Give in worship. Give because God has given everything to us. And we don't need anything else in order to be happy. Let's continue to worship God this morning.